0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is where we drill deep into something that needs to be drilled to be produced. I'm talking about oil, and oil, of course, is the basic building block to make the diesel fuel that keeps this nation's transport system on the road. We're going to be talking about diesel. Are you annoyed as a trucking company, maybe an independent owner-operator, that the price of diesel hasn't gone down as much as it should have? You know, you hear all this talk about negative crude prices and a big price war in the oil world. The price of diesel at the pump certainly is going down, but you sort of wonder, okay, it is going down, but is it going down enough? And what's enough? And then maybe you stop and think, well, you know, maybe it's just my memory going bad. Maybe diesel is down about as much as it should be compared to past declines. And even if it isn't down enough, you know, it's so cheap now that it can't not help but boost the trucking economics that they're confronting on the road. So here's what I can tell you without trying to define enough. As of a few days ago, the retail price of diesel in this country was most definitely not coming down at the rate that it's come down in the past. Specifically, in a story I wrote for FreightWaves, I went back and I looked at the rates of decline back in the 2008-2009 period when you were coming off the – all-time high in the price of oil, and then you had Lehman Brothers and the start of the uh, of the Great Recession. And then I looked at the first six to eight months after the price of oil started declining in 2014. That was the first time that the supplies coming out of the shale fields were starting to overwhelm the market. No matter how you looked at the numbers, there's no doubt that at this time, the retail price decline is holding back compared to those periods of the past. Since January 1st of this year, As of just a few days ago, the wholesale price of diesel was down about 64%, and the retail price was down about a third of that. Now, it is true that on big market swings, yes, on the way down and even on the way up, the retail price rarely captures the full extent of wholesale moves. By the time wholesale hits its low point or its high point, it will then reverse and the retail price will stop moving toward that lowest or highest level. It doesn't necessarily work to try to capture the extremes. But you know, when you look at the decline in 2014, at one point, the commodity exchange price was down about 42% before market reversal. But retail, at its most extreme, it only dropped about 24%. Still, as a percentage of the wholesale drop, the price of retail had captured far more of it back then than retail captured this time around. Then you look at the 2008-2009 decline, at one point, There was a 64% drop in the price of diesel on the commodity exchange and a 56% drop in retail right alongside it. that's uh, That retail number I used was the DOE number. So you've got that where it was only eight percentage points difference at its most extreme. And then you have this market where the retail price is maybe only a third of the drop in the exchange price. So, yeah, it is different out there this time. Why? Well, you know, first of all, when prices move this fast, and they are moving faster than in those other two times that I cited, it's going to mean that the slower pace of retail prices is inevitably going to be even slower. Remember, the wholesale price of diesel is set by an oil company, but the retail price is set by the station owner. And yes, they will try as hard as they can to keep that price as high as they can. The thing is, when prices are already so low and demand is cratered, is there really a market share-inspired reason to cut your prices? Are you really going to grab that much more business at these levels? When the entire future, future is so uncertain, you can expect that any kind of retailer is going to try to hang on to every dollar they can for as long as they can. And according to several people I spoke to in doing the story, people who are in the fuels business, that is pretty much what's going on. There's definitely more of a reluctance than usual right to, by retailers to move that price down. Another factor. Gasoline markets have absolutely cratered. Demand has plummeted far more than it has for diesel. Margins on selling gasoline have been close to negative. And given that, a lot of retailers are holding the price of that other fuel, diesel, as high as they can to make up for the very lousy gasoline market. You know, there are some signs that demand in the diesel market may have hit a bottom. That's the good news for everybody. Uh, If there isn't a double dip in demand drop, it means a couple of things. No, the price of diesel at the pump is not going to capture that full price decline of the past few weeks in the commodity and spot markets. But the upside of the price is going to be limited by very large inventories and the fact that refiners are making lots and lots of diesel because right now they see that's the place where they can make make, uh, their money on. There isn't a diesel price spike anywhere in the near future. We're going to take to the air now. Specifically, we're going to take to the air cargo market and whether it's getting an unexpected boost from the pandemic. I'm joined today by Eric Coolish. He's a colleague of mine at FreightWaves. Eric covers the air cargo and air freight market for FreightWaves, and he's here to talk about what's going on in that. Eric, welcome to Drilling Deep.
1: Thanks so much, John. appreciate it.
0: So, Eric, I've been looking at the many stories you've been writing uh, about air freight and air cargo in the pandemic. And I think what I've taken away from this is that the air freight market is viewing this as, well, it's terrible, okay? But they're scrambling to create opportunities for themselves, uh, in some cases to take to rip seats out of planes and put more air cargo in there. And it it does seem that they're, uh, they're thinking out of the box pretty rapidly. Is this an opportunity for them or, and, or are the things I'm seeing just, you know, a real minor compensation for an overall big, big loss?
1: Well, I think, you know, all of those things, um, you know, and it kind of depends, you know, where you sit. Cause the air freight markets, you know, got lots of actors and, and uh, points of view. So, you know, in general, the market is, you know, it's so disrupted right now. And, you know, first we had coronavirus in China and that shut down supply chains and, and um, you know, exports. And now the rest of the globe is pretty much locked down. And, and so the, you know, the macro market is, you know, volumes are down overall because the global economy's Um, hurting. But, but then you have this huge demand for medical equipment and supplies um, that needs to come out of China and a few other places. And there's, you know, just a shortage of air capacity right now, because when the airlines, uh, when travel just fell off a cliff, uh, with all the travel bans and people not wanting to get sick, you know, the airlines just pulled down their schedules and started, you know, grounded most of their aircraft and pretty soon they were barely flying. So,
0: Right, um, let's, let's note here for those who are familiar with it, the cargo operations of most passenger airlines are not a separate division. Maybe it's a separate division, but the freight is being carried in the belly of the of the planes that are normally carrying the passengers, correct?
1: Correct. I mean, there's a handful of airlines that, you know, run passenger planes and also have, uh, some freighters. Um, but the vast majority of them are, as you say, they just, uh, you know, their main, uh, uh, ticket or their main, uh, source of revenue is the passenger and they get some incremental revenue from the cargo that often makes the flight profitable. And so, um, you know, it's a great way for shippers, uh, you know, especially on intercontinental flights to move stuff the planes have a lot of room and they're you know they're running on regular routes they're running every day you know you can catch a flight at various times so there's you know lots of lots of windows to to get goods out versus you know trying to schedule an ad hoc charter or uh using a freighter that you know runs irregularly or you know every few days or or uh you know on demand so um so all those airplanes got pulled down and all that cargo capacity evaporated um that was kind of good news for the freighter operators because you know now they are able to charge premium rates and they were full and booked but you know there's not enough freighters out there to make up the difference um and so there's been you know lots of capacity shortages and and you know rates are shooting through the roof and so um, you know, one of the workarounds that shippers were clamoring for and airline started to come through the passenger guys was, well, look, can we just use our passenger planes as, you know, quasi freighters? And, and he started, uh, about six or seven weeks ago to start putting them into service, um, and charters, you know, renting them out to logistics companies who wanted to, to whole, get the whole plane and use it for their customers and, Ever since then, it's just the whole system of the passenger airlines has been morphing. They've been trying more things. They've gone from, you know, ad hoc charters. Now they're using lots of airlines like Delta and American and some others are, have scheduled cargo services with their passenger planes. So they're on time definite schedules or, you know, fixed routes. And then they, you know, started putting, um, uh, cargo in the, passenger cabin because you know it's there's not as much freight capacity in a passenger carrier if you're just in the lower hold so now they're trying to use the upper deck so they're putting them in the storage bins and under the seats and now they're putting them figuring out ways to strap them in the seats with special netting um right now
0: let's just let's just ask are you seeing signs of any of this freight being new freight like a, a type of freight that maybe didn't move by uh, by air before and now it can because I was going to say because I would have thought that the rates might have collapsed because of a lack of demand, but you're saying the rates are going up because I guess so much of the medical supplies, which always had really moved on uh, on planes, um, that that the demand for that is just
1: overwhelming. Yeah, and 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 in, and especially because it's on certain trade lanes like China to Europe, China to the to the U.S., um, and so you know I don't know if the rates are the same, you know. U.S. to South America, let's say, but um, but wherever you, you have those medical supplies coming from, there's you know just a lot of you know a lot of demand and you know personal protective equipment like face masks and and gowns. I'm guessing back in the day or pre crisis, maybe you put that on a, on a boat. You know maybe it's medicines and uh, biological a uh, biopharma and um, vaccines and uh, surgical equipment that might fly on a plane, but maybe the face masks go in an ocean. But now everybody needs those face masks urgently. They can barely produce them fast enough, so now you need to put them on a plane. And that's the thing: it's there's such great demand, you know, all over the world—Europe, North America, Latin America, you know, Asia, wherever. To, everyone's scrambling and fighting to get all this uh, protective equipment and test kits and everything. So that's, that's really ginning up the, the, you know, the need for the air freight.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of Americans have probably learned how much their anti, anti antibiotic supply comes from China. I knew it was big, but the number it was that I heard was 97. I didn't know it
1: was that big. Yeah. And a lot of the generic drugs, uh, you know, pretty much China and India, I think, uh, um, They either come from there or the the ingredients, the basic ingredients uh, for making them come from there.
0: Well, let's go back pre-pandemic. And how strong was the air cargo market pre-pandemic? I'm trying to get a point of reference to how it is today compared to the way it used to be.
1: Yeah. So um, 2019 was a down year. 2017, 2018 were relatively strong for the air cargo market uh there was growth but last year you know end of 28 december of 2018 all through last year was you know every month was mostly negative growth there was um you know it just was a a weak year for air cargo and and going into this year there was a little bit of optimism that it might um might tick up a little bit or you know get above uh zero and but uh you know It was a little bit optimistic whether that would actually take place, um, especially with the early Chinese New Year um, and plants, you know, closing down for two weeks uh, in end of January. So there was a lot of uh, skepticism of whether there would be a bounce back, although with the U.S.-China trade agreement uh, finally in place and the tension supposedly down, there was some anticipation that, you know, air freight might pick up, pick up a little bit. But um, so now you had uh, coronavirus and all bets are out the window.
0: The uh, the airlines that you track, uh, everybody knows they're in terrible shape. Um, is air cargo making much of a dent in their problems? Would they be significantly worse without it? Or is it just a, I won't say rounding error, but on the margin, is it just not that big a deal? That there's still, maybe there's demand for more of their services, but it doesn't come close to offsetting all those empty seats?
1: So you raise a good point. I mean, generally speaking, in normal times for, you know, these passenger or these pure passenger airlines, the the cargo is basically a rounding error. Um, You know, I don't know. I haven't seen any breakouts and that's it's so early still. But it would be interesting to find out, you know, how much more money now, uh, how profitable or how much money they're making uh, or how much revenue from these, you know, cargo only passenger flights um, since they're using a. Some of these airlines are, you know, have dozens of planes in operation. Um, so that would be very interesting to find out. Uh, you know, I still think it's probably not, you know, going to make a huge difference. It's it's nice to get some idle assets going. You know, uh, stem the bleeding a little bit. Um, so it's it's definitely helpful, but how much I don't know. It's so early days. But but definitely they're they're you know handling a lot more cargo. They're you know basically become all cargo airlines, for the most part, their their passenger operations are, you know, maybe ten fifteen percent of what they normally are. So, you know, that that that'll be something to follow.
0: What do you think the airlines industry, the airline industry, is going to look like at the end of this? You know, it's it's not like it was in the past. Let's say I'm just let's, we're just talking about the U.S. where you had a lot of airlines. There's been such consolidation over the years that you really are only talking about big airlines now, you know, you've got American Delta United and Southwest isn't as big, but you know, they had been financially stronger forever. There's not a lot of weak hands, I wouldn't think that are going to go under. Um, so, or, you know, there would be the easy candidates to to, to think would shut down. So what do you foresee uh, for the airline industry at the end of all this?
1: You know, it's it's hard to tell, but there's, you know, globally and, and even within the United States, there's Likely to be some casualties. Uh, you make a good point that you know the the major carriers should be stronger. They're in a better position. They're bigger, and you know fix their balance sheets. Uh, you know over the last decade or more with bankruptcies and, and smarter management. So um, you know they should be able to ride it out with uh, some government aid. They they've got close to 50 billion dollars in uh, grants for employee payrolls and then uh, loan loans and loan guarantees if they choose to take them. So they could be fine, but, you know, you have a lot of mid-tier carriers like Alaska Air and JetBlue and Spirit and, you know, um, other carriers that, uh, you know, may not survive or may feel the necessity to merge. Um, And then overseas, you know, in Europe, they'll probably be Europe and Asia, there's a lot of, you know, low budget carriers that may fall by the wayside. So there'll probably be a culling out of to some degree, but, you know, I'm guessing the big carriers will survive, but it's going to be, they're going to be smaller. Everyone's, the airline executives and the analysts are talking about, you know, significant shrinking of these airlines. Uh, you know, they're probably going to take two to three years to get back to the 2019 revenues. And then you know, maybe a little longer to start growing again. And then and that's just domestic, international, you know, maybe five years out to get to where they were in 2019. So, you know, you could see anywhere from three to six years or more kind of getting back their groove depending on the airline and, you know, any unforeseen circumstances.
0: And how do you think the flying experience is going to be different? Um you know, you can wear masks while you're sitting on a plane. You can you can try to. I, I saw that one uh, diagram or uh, of an uh, Italian-designed seat where the the middle seat faces a different way with a with kind of a a, a, one, a plastic panel between the seats. But you know, when you, you think about when you get up at the end of the flight and everybody's jostling for their bags and trying to get in the aisle, you know. The droplets are going to fly in a situation like that. So uh, how do you think it's going to be different
1: going forward? You know, you raise great questions. I mean, I don't think anybody knows for sure. I mean, in the short term, you know, it's possible. You know, right now they're, um, you know, not using the middle seats or saying they're going to block the middle seats. And I'm sure for a while later this year and for several months, That'll be possible because there won't be that many people flying. But at yeah, the end of the day, you can't get away
0: without more I mean, you need that.
1: Those airlines need that capacity, right? That's just not that's not sustainable once people start coming back. So unless you know, I don't know. Unless the alternative is people are going to, um, you know, pay seven hundred dollars to, to you know to fly from Washington to Chicago, um, or you know, pay exorbitant rates to maintain their distance or hygiene. Um I don't know, but you know the 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 airlines are talking about you know just all kinds of disinfecting programs and ways to you know ensure that and be transparent about all the cleaning they're doing there's talk about you know once we have antibody testing and so forth that you know people could have um, get some kind of passport or immunity passport for before boarding you know that they've been tested that they're not a carrier or anything or that they won't get, you know, spread the infection. So, and then, um, you know, airlines will also, I don't know, they'll, they'll be trying some a whole bunch of other things to, to keep people safe in their crews. But those are some of the things we're hearing.
0: And Eric, I'm sure you'll be on top of it in our coverage on freight waves of the air cargo and air freight business. So thanks very much for joining us on Drilling Deep today. Hope you come back. Anytime. Thanks a lot, John. You have a good week. Okay. uh, Drilling Deep is one of the, is one of the family members of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightwaves. Join us every week as we talk about oil and we talk about whatever else we want to talk about. We'll see as the, as the week goes on. Uh, My name is John Kingston. Thanks for joining us.